0: In looking at grocery store data, we were surprised when we found that there was a, a high correlation of people who were buying pie filling and powdered milk. And the people in the grocery store business were scratching their head, telling us that doesn't make any sense to me. Why are we going to do that? And when we when we stood up a pie filling, you know, display in the aisle right next to the powdered milk, well, what do you know? They sold a lot more pie filling.
1: Here is your host, Sam Gupta.
2: Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. Life would be so easy if we had to sell only to one ideal customer profile and buyer persona. Most companies sell to multiple ideal customer profiles That makes the job of a marketer much harder. These profiles could vary based on industries, roles, product groups, etc. But what is so hard about managing multiple customer profiles? Well, each customer profile has its needs in terms of what they like about their buying preferences and the messaging that will resonate with them the most. Each customer profile may have its own journey even if they might be buying the same product or service offering. If you don't map the journey of each customer profile individually, you might struggle to get results from your e-commerce efforts, even if your overall messaging may be okay. In today's episode, we invited a panel of cross-functional experts for a live interview on LinkedIn who brings significant expertise to discuss how to manage multiple customer groups. We discussed the differences between the traditional versus the digital world and how the challenges differ in both settings while the problem of multiple personas exists in both worlds. Finally, we discussed the best practices of segmentation and identifying the user personas for several categories including logged in versus non logged in users or buyers versus users. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hello everyone, welcome to today's show. And if you are joining for the first time, this is part of our e-commerce series for which we meet every Wednesday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. We pick one topic related to e-commerce, and we always have a very exciting panel that is willing to share their insights and wisdom. For today, we are going to be talking about a very exciting topic because this is one of the most complex topic, even though it is not supposed to be that difficult, but most companies struggle with it when you are going to be serving multiple customers, it's very, very, very hard to map those customer journeys and have a very clear path, what customers are expecting from your web presence or from your e-commerce presence that you might have. So first we are going to start with everybody's intro and we are going to dig right into the topic right after that. So I am going to start with my intro. If you guys don't know me, I am Sam Gupta. I am principal at Elevate IQ. I have roughly 20 plus years of experience leading ERP and digital transformation engagement. E-commerce is always a key part of that. And if we don't have the journeys figured out, obviously the e-commerce results are not going to be there. So whatever you are going to do for the back end is probably not going to work. As part of Elevate IQ, we are an independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm. What that means for the customers as we help them, with the business case development, uh, business process re-engineering, anything and everything that happens in the pre-ERP phase, which is going to be defining the business architecture, the enterprise architecture, the ERP project recovery, and the ERP implementation. On that note, I am going to move to Steve for his intro.
3: Hi, thank you, Sam. It's good to see Ben, Dave, and Chris on here as well. Uh, appreciate you having me on. Uh, my name is Steve Rice. I'm from uh, Docum Jungle and the Globally Conscious Leader. Uh, and at Docum Jungle, we're a, a technology uh, implementation company that helps uh, businesses make and implement wise technology choices. And sometimes that ends up being websites. Sometimes that means integration with ERPs and HubSpot and other things like that. Yeah. Uh, thanks for having me on the show.
2: Thank you so much for being here, Steve. So, Chris, I'm going to ask you uh, to introduce next,
4: if you don't mind. Ah, uh, sure, Sam. Thank you for having me. Great to see everyone here today. Uh, Yes, Chris Harrington, president of Gen Alpha Technologies. Uh, Essentially, we help original equipment manufacturers, aftermarket organizations, and specialty vehicle uh, companies sell and service their products online. And I will tell you that they have a complex customer structure. So certainly we do find lots of these challenges as we work with uh, different organizations. So great to be here today. Thank
2: you. Thank you so much, Chris. I think it's going to be really exciting. And don't blame me if we get into the channel conflict today as well, because it always ends up there. Thank you so much for being here. All right, Dave, uh, can I ask you to introduce yourself, next, if you don't mind?
5: Yeah, happy to. Thanks, Sam, and good to see everybody. My name is Dave Chrysler, and I own an operations consulting company working with business leaders to help them achieve operational excellence through planning, people, process, and technology. And I come to you today with more than 20 years in operations, specifically within manufacturing. So excited to be here, Sam. Thanks.
2: Okay, and I'm super excited as well. Thank you so much for being here, uh, Dave. Ben, joining for the first time, can I ask you to introduce yourself?
0: Yes, I'm Ben Rudnick, and thank you very much for having me. Uh, I work with Atwix.com. We're an e-commerce agency that is focused on delivering Magento solutions, both with the Community Edition and the Adobe Commerce Enterprise Edition. And I also have been playing in the e-commerce world for 20 years uh, plus. I got my start in personalization and segmentation, so building customer groups is uh, near and dear to my heart.
2: Thank you so much for being here, Ben. So now we are going to start with our first question, but before we do that, if you are in the audience and listening to this conversation, if you have any comments or questions, please make sure you are going to be commenting in the comment box. We are going to be reviewing all of those comments and we'll be we'll try our best to address all of the questions. If we run out of the time, then our panelists will make sure that they are going to get back to you for your questions. On that note, I am going to start. With the first question. So the question for you, Steve, is going to be when we are dealing with the multiple customer groups, uh, as we know, it's not a fun exercise because they all require their own customer journeys. The majority of the manufacturing companies and the retail companies, they struggle in defining the ideal customer profile. But here we are talking about multiple ideal customer profile. Obviously, that is hard. So, do you want to talk about the challenges and maybe share a story of how the multiple customers were structured in the business that you worked with?
3: Sure, I'm only gonna challenge you in one spot there because you said it's not fun. It actually can be fun for uh, for geeks. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you know, I think you pointed out uh, one of the main ones that uh, manufacturers have is they have a completely different. Uh, ideal customer profile from a uh, their wholesale customers than they do from their retail customers. You know, and that that's pretty straightforward. But I think people get all wound up pretty tight when they start trying to figure out well, what do we do. And um, you know, one of the stories that I have just just using those two and and having two basically two competing interests in the company sort of fighting over what they thought was the right user experience is that the the um, the wholesale folks had a problem because their dealers kept going to the retail website and just couldn't seem to find the big red dealer link, no matter where we put it on the website. And so they they really wanted to push for a landing page on the homepage of the direct-to-consumer website that said, are you a dealer or are you a retailer? Well, the, the direct-to-consumer folks and us as advocates for both sides said, hey, wait a second, you want to completely destroy the user experience of your retail consumer just so your dealers can find the right spot. Uh, you know, so, um, from a user experience standpoint, what they actually had was a communication problem with their dealers that the dealer team wasn't taking responsibility for in terms of emails that they sent out on a regular basis. They weren't really communicating with dealers. Um, and what the retail side had, the consumer side was a very good and extensive, uh, both paid and organic search engine marketing that basically put them at the top of almost every search result for things related to that company. So that's sort of an example of, of. You know, the, the two obvious things that would get mixed up and and how one team might say, hey, we want to do this thing to fix our problem. And the other team say, hey, wait a second, um, you're you you're ruining ours.
2: Yeah, I completely agree with that story, to be honest. And I am definitely go- not going to use that site, to be honest, if it is going to be 50,000 questions before I can see my products. Uh, OK, I exactly. am looking for slightly more streamlined customer experience. In my experience, typically, you, you go by the 80-20 rules. If 80% of the customers are going to be relevant for your direct-to-consumer, then maybe you want to cater them and then have a link somewhere for your 20% customers because you don't care for them as much. In this context, again, maybe you have far larger market share, but as far as the web experience goes, maybe you don't care for that as much. Steve, I am actually going to have a clarifying question to you, which is okay. going to be one of the things, the reason why companies struggle with the web journey is because sometimes they cannot really mimic and relate with the traditional experience. It's not that we did not have this problem in the traditional world. It's just that, you know, a lot of human and the manual processes were involved. So you didn't realize that you had this problem. Okay, you have multiple personas in the traditional channel as well. So do you want to touch uh, and compare the traditional versus the online world? Why the problem is far more severe in the online world as opposed to the traditional world?
3: Well, I think you're, you're right. I mean, the severity comes because when, if, you, if you sell, uh, uh, I don't know, knives or widgets for the outdoor store, you're going to go to a trade show. You're not going to meet consumers there. So you don't have to worry about uh, whether they show up at your, uh, your booth you know, and are going to try and buy stuff at wholesale. So on, on the web, you have that concern, uh, and you also have the concern that your dealers are going to show up on a retail website and say, I don't really know where to go. But I also, the way I would look at it is is also to say, going fully digital actually presents a lot of opportunities that we don't think about. For instance, a the digital system doesn't care what you look like, how you're dressed, what your hair color is, whether you're male, female, uh, six feet tall, unless you ask it to. Right. So mostly what we care about is this a good customer and what are their habits and whether they're a dealer or a consumer. Um, we're trying to measure that. That's what that's what Google and Amazon and Facebook and everyone else. That's the holy grail. Um, so in a certain sense, the, the opportunity to identify uh, online someone who's more likely to spend money, I think, is easier than, say, put yourself in the middle of uh, an REI in uh, Idaho. You've got a salesperson with three months experience, maybe who's been rock climbing for five years, but it's never been a retail environment. They don't know when the millionaire doctor walks through the door and wants to drop ten thousand dollars on mountain bikes. Right. So um, as far as user experience for not user experience, but yeah, I guess user experience for the doctor yeah. themselves, their journey is different. You can you might actually be able to identify that person digitally. You cannot expect a retail person. you might not even be able to expect your your twenty year experience a dealer services rep at a trade show to recognize as wow. well so that's that's one of the stories I would tell. What do you think, Sam?
2: Okay, I think you did amazing. Thank you so much, Steve. So okay, I'm actually gonna move to Chris Chris okay, so we are talking about the multiple customers. And the multiple personas, and in your world, I think you are probably going to have a million personas, and they are going to have millions of journeys. To be honest, so obviously it is very complicated, and I'm pretty sure your world is still very traditional, and these personas and the journeys they existed in the traditional world as well. So when you compare the uh, the traditional versus web world, you know what are the differences that you are seeing, and what are some of the uh, you know challenges? that you typically notice while managing these multiple customer journeys uh, in the web experience?
4: Yeah. You know, since we're talking about challenges as these companies move to digital e-commerce, because we're really focused on e-commerce right now, um, I think a lot of it has to do with the control of data. Okay, so data and product information was so tightly controlled by manufacturers historically, And often uh, controlled through silos in a manufacturing organization and wasn't really even needed to be collated and easily accessible to all the different potential channels uh, that are using their products. Right. So when a manufacturer says I'm going to move online now, this data is expected from all these different user groups, right? So you have the end user who uses the product, that is the, the customer who owns, operates, if, if it's a manufacturing piece of equipment, right? You have a dealer distribution network who's selling and servicing those products. They require, require different types of information. Um, so access to information they need might be different Then the access that a manufacturer is willing to give to that end user, but still that end user is starting to realize that they want more access to that that information. So making it available and how to make it available becomes part of that challenge and part of that customer journey flow. And then you have, you know, manufacturers who have fleet customers who they may do business with direct rather than going through a distribution uh, partner because they own large volumes of product maybe they're using it for rental facilities or they just have large fleets that they're owning and operating and servicing other businesses so now uh, they have to be able to do business and provide data and information to those customers when uh, and how they need it Um, and you know then you have all of your internal stakeholder customers those that are that are servicing your dealers or servicing the end customer sometimes that's your sales team it can be your technical service team so all of these groups right the you could call them customers of your digital solution who need product data at any given moment and the biggest challenge for for companies today is what permissions do we give these uh, different segments, and how will we feed them that information so that it's it's seamless for everybody that needs it? So I think that's a big challenge. And and because manufacturers were able to take the phone calls and the emails and other things and kind of control that product data, but now it uh, you know end users are more empowered and they want that data or they're going to go elsewhere. That has created the challenge. What do we do? Well, we've historically uh, done gone to market this way. So that's okay. what I would say. I think if you know, I agree with everything you and Steve were saying, and I just wanted to add that component of data because I think that becomes the challenge.
2: So Chris, I'm going to be honest here today, I was not expecting the data plug, but you know, since you started, then I am actually going to make it even with the ERP question. Sorry, I mean, I was hoping that we'll probably talk about just the user experience and the customer journeys. But now that we are talking about data, so now you are going to get a little bit of slightly more ERP-centric question, but obviously it is going to be related to the customer journeys. So here, the journeys that you are talking about, you have many different personas there and these personas, if you actually think about them, uh, you have the end consumer, you have the dealer and distributor, and then you have the internal users as well. As far as, and again, in your case, when you are trying to enable this experience, my assumption is going to be that a lot of experience, a lot of this is going to be in the logged in instance where they are able to see the data once they have either bought or they have the account, uh, as opposed to just looking at, the non-logged in uh, instance of the website. So now, when you look at all of these parties, a lot of the underlying ERP systems, they don't really track all of these parties. So how do you connect all of this experience and make sure that you are providing the personalized data because that is going to affect the customer journey? So how do you make sure that all of these personas are going to be tied together as part of one transaction because they all are part of the same transaction because they are probably (laughs) trying to repair the same fleet? So how do you typically address this challenge?
4: Yeah, I, I think it comes through decisions that companies need to make on how they're going to go to market. Right. Okay. So you will have users uh, again, we'll call it the anonymous, not logged in user. Right. Yeah. And a manufacturer or any company needs to decide what level of information are they going to give that uh that non-logged-in user, anonymous user. Maybe they're going to give them all kinds of product data that wasn't easily accessible before, but they're not going to be able to find price or availability, and they're going to have to contact a dealer or go to a location to get products. Um, So, and, you know, we've talked a little bit about this in previous episodes, but that's how um, some manufacturers, that's a first step that they're taking so that they can protect the channels that they're working with. So that segment is called the end user who might be operating a product, but the manufacturer doesn't know them. They don't have an account with them. They're going to allow them to search, find, get information, but then go to the dealer. The other segments, those accounts that are already doing business, again, that could be a fleet in this example. It could be a distributor. They are already mapped in the ERP system with their own pricing uh, with the types of information that they need. So dealers might have access to documentation and may have different access to, let's call it portals, or I'm going to call it warranty return, surplus return type information that a dealer has turned on when they log in because the system recognizes them as a dealer. So they're segmented so that the dealer can see their pricing, they see list pricing, they, they see their price, they can process warranty claims, they can process RMAs, they can do all of those different things. Now, when a fleet customer logs in, they're not going to have access to all the modules. They're going to be able to see their pricing. They're going to be able to order, order history, order status, all of that. So the segmentation defines the type of customer But the access, the roles and the permission will be what they do when they're on the site. And that's how you control it and still get data to the users as you're transitioning your digital strategy.
2: All right. Amazing insights. Thank you so much, Chris, for that. So, Dave, I'm actually going to come to you, and I'm super worried right now because, uh, to be honest, I mean, this is supposed to be a marketing show, but we have too many operations people here, and then Ben (laughs) is going to provide a lot of insights from the data and AI, so this is probably going to become a data show. Okay. (laughs) So, (laughs) hopefully, we can stick to marketing. All right. So, multiple customer groups, Dave, and uh, the challenges, and how would you contrast this experience with the traditional versus the
5: web experience yeah i mean so so much great information shared so far by uh by everybody steve uh chris and yourself and yeah it was you know i couldn't help but chuckle a little bit as <laughs> some of the data points were were popping up but you know i think from a from my standpoint and experience it really comes back to exactly what you said taking those traditional Processes and pathways uh, for that user experience, and translating them into the digital environment. And the uh, companies that I've worked with typically were seeing, you know, a, I would say a minimum of two customer groups. It's going to be, you know, a distributor group and uh, potentially, and then user group. Um, in you know, kind of tacking onto some of what Chris was saying in terms of you know the the data side of things. Uh, and how you control that information flow. I mean, obviously it's gonna impact all of that user experience from the, um, you know, information they're seeing, the sales prices that are available, how much access to, um, not only, you know, if we're talking about manufacturing, like in Chris's world with the OEM side, you know, uh, specifications and detailed level drawings and all of those things. Um, but again, it, it is uh, how you want to be able to control that experience with that individual segmented uh, group. And then uh, again, from my standpoint taking a step back before we even really talk about the technology side and making sure that we are uh doing the process documentation and understanding what that journey if from an ideal perspective should look like uh compared to maybe where it's at today uh because as you know you know now is the opportunity to to, to take a look at that and identify potential roadblocks in the traditional process as we integrate and move towards a digital environment and you know if Oftentimes, at least what I've seen is companies that have already implemented on the digital side that haven't taken the time to fully understand what that journey looks like and who those. Individual personas are end up kind of in Steve's example of having the, you know, uh, well, why can't we just, you know, make this this quick change? And you've got those conflicting groups internally now who are fighting for, you know, ultimately control of uh, how that platform looks and what that experience is, and potentially impacting significantly the operation side of things because you're you're making uh, kind of a poor choice based on a really limited amount of information.
2: Okay. Very interesting. So now, I mean, obviously you are talking about the implications on the operation side as well. And I don't know if the listeners are really going to be familiar with the implications of the incorrect customer journeys and if they are going to have any sort of implications uh, on the operation side. I can see that you might probably not get the Sales order, you know, the visitors might drop out just because they are not finding the right information that they are expecting with the right number of clicks. OK, the speed is also important. You know how quickly they expect to find the information on the side. If they are not finding then they uh, might drop out. But to your comment related to operations. So how do you see the implications on operations? Let's say if you cannot figure out your customer journeys for multiple groups.
5: Yeah, I mean, it's going to impact everything at, at at the highest level and kind of most impactful. Right. We're talking about lost sales, mm-hmm. uh, lost profitability. Uh, you know, we could be talking about depending on the specific type of organization. Um, you know, we could talk. <laughs> we could be talking about you know severe cash flow impact because you know you've forecasted a particular amount of sales and and you know inventory hold and now because you uh you know have maybe haphazardly documented what that customer journey is like uh you know ultimately losing those opportunities because somebody's coming to the site they're not finding what they need they drop you have no process in place to be able to you know. And again, depending on if they're logged in versus not logged in, but you, you know, you lose the ability to track that interaction and then follow up with a new touch point. So at the highest level, we're talking about a severe impact uh, to your revenue and profitability. And, you know, as you kind of cut down through that, um, you could be talking about many, many different things throughout the operation that it that it could ultimately impact.
2: Okay, amazing insights there. Thank you so much, uh, Dave. So, Ben, I'm actually going to come to you. So we are talking about the multiple customer groups. And in your case, since you focus primarily on the personalization, obviously, this is super critical uh, when you are mapping that. So when you compare this with the traditional world, what differences do you find and what challenges do you typically see that companies run into when they are trying to cater to multiple customer groups?
0: Well, it's, it's kind of fun because I've been doing personalization so long that it preexisted you know, before the Internet right? I was doing personalization for hospitality, gaming, grocery store chains, right? You had a card loyalty program. So in the traditional world, one of the biggest differences, even when you're dealing with group customers, is that in the traditional world, somebody has to walk out of the store in order to walk into another store, right? And in the digital world, they might already have another store open in another tab. So one of the biggest important things to focus on is the user experience and making it so that it's engaging and compelling to the buyer uh, because it's so easy for them to be buying someplace else. I completely agree.
2: And the friction is, in my opinion, I think it's a great comment. And this is something that most people don't realize that in this particular case, you really don't have to put as much effort to go to your competitor when you are actually doing in the traditional world, you are definitely driving to a different place. And that's a lot of effort. And sometimes you are probably going to pay a lot more, to be honest. I mean, I pay a lot more because I just don't want to waste my time and I don't want to go to another store. Do you have any specific stories that you might be able to share, Ben, related to multiple customer groups where you
0: have seen some challenges? Well, I've, I've I've been doing this for a little while, so I've got plenty of stories for you. Some of them are more or less appropriate for this this forum, um, but let's say that uh, you know, one of the things I was dealing with most recently is is a website that sells car parts. Okay. And you know, it doesn't take but a few clicks for you to understand what kind of car parts a person is interested in, right? What 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 type of vehicle they're working on. And and so after that, it's very easy to um, begin showing them targeted content that is relevant, right? It's all about coming up with a customer journey. One of the challenges people have often is that analysis paralysis kind of situation that Steve was mentioning where people don't know which way to go, right? You know, or they, the people in the business, they don't know which, which groups are the right groups to start with, right? We aren't doing anything with segmentation today. How do we start? And the key thing, the key way to do that, I find, is is taking a look at, you know, sorry to bring it back around, but the look at the data, right? Actually look at, at your customers and how they're already navigating through your site. Yeah. So they'll tell you what matters, right? You know, one of the things that, you know, you asked for challenges and fun stories, I'll take it way back into the history. In looking at grocery store data, we were surprised when we found that, there was a, a high correlation of people who were buying pie filling and powdered milk, and the people in the grocery store business were scratching their head, telling us that doesn't make any sense to me. Why are we going to do that? And when we when we stood up a pie filling, you know, display in the aisle right next to the powdered milk, well, what do you know? They sold a lot more pie filling, right? And it was this was something that came out of the algorithms as identified as a as something that would provide big lift because it was not an obvious thing. And, you know, when we actually interviewed customers, the buyers, to figure out why, we realized that the people who had the propensity to buy both, they were people who liked to bake a lot. And they weren't necessarily using them together at the same time, but they were the type of people who would use both.
2: Very, very interesting story. Thank you so much, Ben, for that. Uh, So Steve, I'm actually going to come to you next for the next segment uh, and since we are talking about data analysis and paralysis typically in my experience the companies that really struggle in defining their customer journeys they just don't think through enough in terms of what uh, customer journeys they want to have some of the you know larger sophisticated companies they really have their uh, the roles figured out okay which are the roles that are approaching and they will tell you okay sales marketing digital it they are going to have industry, they are going to have products, depending upon which industry you are in. But they have all of the journeys figured out in the menu itself. So when you segment, and I am looking for some stories, if you have, where they could not really segment or they did not have the right segmentation, the way journey should have been. For example, some people just copy paste, uh, which is a great strategy uh, to implement your marketing <laughs> just because everybody's going with the industry, maybe have the industry, but that may not make sense for your offering or for your category. So in your experience, when you look at the segmentation of these categories that you want to have for the journeys, what will be the rationale that you are going to use? And if you can share some of the story, good versus bad, that'll be amazing.
4: Okay,
3: so just to clarify, it sounds like you're asking what what are the rationalizations for the types of segmentations you would make, and what could those segmentations be?
2: Yeah, so basically, you know, either you are going to be succeeding in identifying the journey, or you are not. So, what is the rationale that you are going to use? And if you have any stories where you know people just did not get it, or or they got it?
3: Well, I'll say, like, you know, you're right. People, they, you, you said that you know people get kind of mixed up trying to figure out what their target audience is and what those, uh, you know, individual user profiles might be. Yeah. Um, And I I liked Ben's story uh, because it reminded me of Hayden Christensen's jobs to be done and the milkshake story. And I'll I'll let people Google that. But basically he was looking, trying to understand, like Ben was saying, why are people buying, what was it, sweetened condensed milk or no powdered milk? Uh, When you you find out why they're there, that's the jobs. What's the real job to be done? What I would say, part of the answer to to that, Sam, your original question is there are a lot of ways to segment from a marketing perspective. And you could, you know, we talked about retailers versus dealers or buy groups. You also could possibly segment by platinum, gold, and silver. You do, of course, have to decide what your parameters are for those people to be in there. Um, It's possible you have products that are relevant to certain locations in the world. So you might actually be segmenting by a destination of where you're shipping something. Subscribers versus non-subscribers. One of the things I would point out to, you know, if we're talking about manufacturers and retailers, you're automatically, if you're doing it correctly, you're automatically identifying your segmentation, or at least one of the ways you can segment by architecting the navigation of your website correctly. And, um, you know, off offline here, Ben mentioned backpacking and traveling. And I, you know, I come from the outdoor world if you go to an outdoor website or you go to REI physically, we'll go back to them. Uh, somebody who river rafts might not give uh, a rat's darn about rock climbing. And that's why the rock climbing department and the river rafting departments at REI are not mixed together. And it's mm-hmm. why you won't find uh, high carbon Werner paddles in the rock climbing department on REI.com. Um, it's also why you won't find women's rock climbing tank tops, mixed in with men's sleeping bags, you know, we're just getting kind of like hyperbolic here. It, women, to be a great example of segmentation, women do not shop the same as men. And men do not want to see women's clothing in the men's department and men do not want to see women's clothing in, in their department, right? So you're automatic, if you're a retailer and you've got a bunch of stuff you got to look right at your segmentation on your website and look at your architecture because that might be telling your marketing team what to do. And if your marketing team is running around scratching the head going, we don't know what our segmentation is. Maybe have them talk to the person who architected the website. So because there are a lot of ways to, to segment your people and, that you're, and your customers. Now, actually, let's use stakeholders because I think that's a better term. We've all identified stakeholders who aren't direct consumer folks. So. Like you said, don't, don't get wound up about it. Just start thinking about it. Look at your website. As Ben says, let the data tell you. You, you could look at the data and know that uh, men, men might not be buying, uh, don't want to see women's clothing in the men's department, but data also says that women buy something like 67 or 70% of men's clothing, uh, but they don't want to see it in the women's department. Either.
2: Yeah. So some very interesting stories there, and those are real-life examples. So thank you so much for bringing those. The One of the interesting comments that you made is going to be architecting the navigation. And I think that is the uh, that is spot on. The insight that I need from your side is going to be, so, okay, if the marketing team does not have a clue how to segment this, then obviously they have got to go to their, their website team. And, you know, 70% of the cases, uh, they are probably going to be designed by the IT team. And obviously they have... Uh, very little understanding of you know how the real world works, to be honest, I mean, unless they are speaking to the customer on a daily basis, which is very rare. So now, if you are actually going to go to your website and the IT team uh, and you are going to mimic the experience that is just thought out in a room and nobody really knows whether customers are really succeeding with their journeys on the website, so how would you sort of, it seems like a chicken and egg problem. Marketing team does not know. Now you are going to the website, which is probably really bad. <laughs> so you are going to inherit that. And then you are not going to get the customer journeys. So how do you resolve this chicken and egg problem?
3: It's a great question because a lot of people uh, have that. You know, they they think, well, uh, you know, Ben and I and everybody else here can say, well, look at the data. Uh, all day long, but if you have data based on a ridiculous architecture and you go into Google <laughs> Analytics and you think you're going to get the answer to what you want, what you have is the answer to what you had, not what you're going to get. Yep. So uh, my answer is going to be, you actually should pick up the phone and talk to those stakeholders. And I'll, I'll give an example. We recently did some work. This this is a dealer example, but I think it 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 applies to a retail environment as well. And I know that certainly as a retailer, if, if somebody from L.L. Bean called me and actually said, hey, did you have a good experience? I would be like, wow, thanks for calling. And I would answer any questions they wanted, right? But so we, we built a, a, a customized dealer portal for a, a company that we work with. Um, and the first thing that we asked in the very first meeting is, as part of Discovery, we want to get in touch with five of the people that you think are your best dealers, and five of the people, and of course, we won't tell them this, that you think are not your best customers, people you think aren't your best customers, we want to know. And and they said, we absolutely do not want to do that. We know everything there is to know about our company and our dealer relationships. Believe me, we talk to these people all day long, right? And we, we fought and fought, took it up the ladder, and we lost that battle. Well, the very first trade show, that uh, this company went to this is you know post COVID or mid COVID or whatever you want to call it had been trade shows for a while. They went to a trade show the dealers did, and it was uh, about a month after they launched. And lo and behold, they had a bunch of their best customers come to them with a list of things that they thought they should have done on their latest update of their dealer website. So we ended up getting what we wanted, but you know it was uh, a year later uh, and at the behest of the customer and. All we said to our client was, let's ask your customers what's right, not pretend that we know what's right based on what's happened in the past. That's the answer to the chicken, the egg scenario let's go straight to the stakeholder and ask them what they want.
2: Thank you so much, Steve. Thanks for the insights, Chris, so I'm actually going to come to you. So when you actually go to a website, you can clearly tell that it is very unnatural. It does not feel very natural. And as we all know, the marketing is going to be very expensive. So when you look at the segmentation, obviously segmentation requires a lot of research. It requires deep understanding of your customers. It requires a lot of thinking before you are able to map those customer journeys. So in your experience, what rationale would you use how would you help the marketing versus IT in defining the segmentation when you are starting map, starting to map your multiple customers?
4: Yeah, you know, I would go back to what Steve had said about why are they there? Okay, so, you know, I described different types of customers earlier, but within those customers, you have different segments like a purchaser, right? A buyer inside a B2B organization is going to potentially Use your site differently than a maintenance technician or an engineer who's looking for specification data, right? So that purchaser typically has already entered a purchase order into their own back end system, and they don't want the redundancy of having to. Peck and find, search for a product in your search tool, and then add it to the shopping cart, search for a tool, add it. So where mistakes have been made or customer experiences have been not well taken care of are when there aren't tools available on your website for that type of user, right? That purchaser who's already got their PO entered in their own system. They simply want a tool to be able to upload their parts or products that they need, get price and availability, add them to the shopping cart and be on their way, right? So um, I have seen mistakes made there in that customer journey mapping when solutions like that aren't available for the customer. Same with an uh, engineer who's looking to spec a product into a unit that they may buy your product at a later point in time, but their first step is to come to your website and match specifications for something that they may be building that's going into a larger unit. So for them, output might be a CAD file or some other technical documentation that allows them to spec it in and then when it is time, they sell the thing that they specced it into. Now their purchasing group is going to come back to you because they've specced you into their product and the buying experience is going to be different because they're going to have that part number and they're going to do that. But the first engineer had to go and identify your product that fit the solution they were looking for. Again, if I go to, and again, if, if companies don't think about the first step is the CAD file or the specification document that they need to spec it into their product, that's what they first needed before they were ever going to buy. So these are the customer journey maps that companies have to think about as they're identifying and solving problems for all the different users. Again, maintenance uh, technician, he or she is going to be repairing something and looking for maintenance instructions. uh, And also, identification of the product that they need so that they can give it to the purchaser because often these maintenance technicians don't have authority to buy. So again, they're going to come into your website. They're going to have their own customer journey. They need to be able to maybe find a serial number, VIN number for the model that they own. They need maintenance instructions. They need the products to do the work. They might need a kit or a bundle of items that are going to support them but they're not going to buy. So they might put it into a quotation that can then easily be shared with the purchaser and all they have to do is turn that quote into an order. But this is the customer journey and this is where I, I see the mistakes being made by companies is they're not thinking about all the different users that will come to the site and the different information they need to ultimately end up getting the conversion. So that's how I would answer your question, Sam.
2: Yeah, so great depiction of these stories. I think, you know, the journeys are amazing. But in your example, when I look at these journeys, they seem to be the journeys when you already know who these users are and the customers are. Typically, in my experience, when I am looking for the multiple customer growth, the problems that companies face is going to be when you don't know who your visitors are.
4: Because you don't know whether it
2: is going to be the maintenance technician or is is it going to be the purchasing because they are coming for the first time. They are not logged in yet. You don't know who they are. Now, figure out the I think that that's where the crack is in terms of mapping the multiple uh, customer uh, journeys. And that's where I think companies uh, really struggle. Do you have any insights there, by any chance? Yeah.
4: Well, I was going to say those three scenarios can happen before a customer is even your customer. So they may not have an account with you and they're still a buyer and they've been still given so that maintenance person ended up with your piece of equipment in their shop and now they need the resources and they all they know is that your equipment name is on the side of that piece of equipment that they're going to repair where are they going to go they're going to go to that equipment manufacturer's website and they're the technician they need that information they're looking for the part they're still going to give that part to a purchaser who may have never bought from you and they are going to come in so these journeys do need to be mapped Even for the non logged in user, it's a very common scenario today, for sure.
2: Love it. Amazing. Thank you so much, uh, Chris, for that. So Dave, I'm actually going to come to you. And the question is going to be similar, uh, you know, when you are trying to segment this data. Uh, obviously, if you are going to be as crystal clear on your customer journeys, like Chris, where you can literally name up <laughs> and you can map the, uh, the journeys, but most companies struggle with this, to be honest. Okay. So how would you handle this? Let's say if you are mapping out your customer journeys.
5: Yeah. I mean, you know, when, when Chris was talking, I, it would be wonderful if, You had a clear segmentation but taking a step further back and and trying to answer your question sam like from my perspective you have to understand what the what your e-commerce site and what your marketing site is really geared towards and intended to do and through that understanding that customer journey And understanding from a traditional sense what those stakeholder groups look like, you know, before you get into the marketing and e-commerce side of things, uh, I think will help you with not only identifying the segmentation, but then also mapping the journey because kind of back to what Chris was saying once you have that and you can understand what that entry point is what that piece of information they maybe already have and what the next piece of information is that they're coming to your website to look for uh then it becomes much easier to finish the map and understand what the entire journey is going to look like from you know kind of prospect or initial touch point if you will not 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 so much prospect but that initial touch point what are they looking for did you know, my solution, answer what they're looking for, provide them with the information that they're looking for to continue moving them down that journey. So uh, again, I think starting at the highest level from a traditional sense, understanding who the stakeholders are, how they need to utilize the interfaces that you're going to build. We can talk about e-commerce, we can talk about, you know, just marketing websites, right? Same, same thought process. You have to understand that first before you can then get into the additional kind of clarifications of segmentation and, and ultimately documenting and creating what the ideal uh, customer journey is based off of having those conversations. I mean, to me, what Steve had brought up uh, in terms of not Engaging the people that are actually going through the journey and not making assumptions. Uh, Sometimes the obvious is just, you know, we get blinders on and we don't do things like that. But doing that is the best way to understand uh, those touch points and the information that they're seeking to ultimately get them through the rest of the journey, uh, you know, on on the road to conversion. Right. For some people, you're going to learn that at the third step along that journey, they're going to want to talk to somebody uh to confirm and regardless of what you what information you make available to them uh through the e-commerce or marketing portal they still need to confirm that information with somebody internally and then we want to make sure that because we've identified all the stakeholders that we've provided internally that stakeholder with enough information to continue closing out that uh you know that particular sales process
4: yeah i, w- I was just going to add that i think you know once a, a company launches their e-commerce site and they're continuing to refine their customer journeys, the best people to talk to are going to be the people who aren't using it, right? So you're going to, they're going to continue to use those traditional methods and the, the great questions go right to those people. So we have this e-commerce website. Um, what would, why are you not using it? And that's where you'll uncover these, these areas that have created the friction for them and why they're not using it. So go it goes back to talking to them, but they will continue to probably buy from you if your products are valuable to them. It's then learning from them when they're calling you instead of uh doing your new channel. So okay,
2: amazing. Thank you so much, Chris, uh, for that. So Dave, I don't know if you are going to have any follow-up comments there, but you know, my question to you is going to be let's say if we go back to what Chris was talking about in her story. So if you are doing very specific story related to the personas, where you have the maintenance uh, you know, tech, technician, you have the procurement guy, you have the engineer, and you have mapped out all of these personas, the assumption here is going to be you already know who's coming to your site. But in most cases, you probably don't know who's coming to your site. Okay. <laughs> so what you need to do is you need to provide the second dimension where the customers can still get in. And that is going to be, let's say, if you are doing the journeys based on role, but you have to also do journeys based on, let's say, if somebody is coming from a specific industry uh, or maybe they are coming from the specific industry group or whatever. So thinking about these different dimensions is typically trickier for a lot of companies. And in my experience, I think that's where they, they struggle. What would you say to that? Uh, have you seen something similar? Or- yeah,
5: and and I agree with you. I I think they struggle because in too many cases that I've seen, um, you know they're they're trying to be too many things to too many people, so it confuses the journeys even when it's segmented from let's say industry perspective or role perspective, because they, you know, in some sense they've they've launched a, a, an e-commerce or a, a marketing website without understanding who is really interacting and purchasing from them today. So again, I go back to what I kind of said originally, really understanding your business from a traditional sense and whether you already have something in place. I mean, you know, most companies are going to have the the marketing side of it and and some will have an e-commerce uh, part of that and some will not. Uh, but again, going back to you know, the traditional sense and understanding who those uh, segmented groups are and then how to best position that from a journey standpoint. For some, that will be taking a industry approach and making it alphabetical. For others, it may be taking an industry approach and, and doing it you know, buy uh, kind of uh, key focus areas uh, from that industry perspective. I mean, it's kind of some of the things that we've seen while reviewing some of the ERP vendors out there. Uh, That's one of the things that comes to mind. So uh, that that would be my advice, though, for uh, companies that are out there that are either looking to make a change to what they've they currently have, or they're just getting started on this journey is to understand and be able to segment from a traditional sense before they start to go and, and put technology in place. And, and kind of just back to what Chris said quickly, I don't disagree with that, but from my experience, we're not gonna get everybody to go online and to uh, you know, provide a specific journey um, without an ever increasing amount of technology. So I think that there is always a place to have that traditional sense of business and what that that sales process is going to look like and be mindful of the people uh, and the groups uh, that will not go down that journey. Uh, to Chris's point, you have to understand why that is, um, but but I think more importantly, the people that are using the technology or who you want to talk to, to make sure that you kind of speak to both sides of that. So.
2: Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Dave, for that. And Ben, uh, you know, I'm actually coming to you and I can see some of your comments and you're like, I got technical term for everything that you are talking about because this is what I do. <laughs> so do you want to describe you know, the, the whole process of segmentation is what we are talking about where you have seen challenges because obviously you are seeing a lot of challenges and that's what you fix for the companies, right? So describe where companies really struggle with the segmentation.
0: Well, it, 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 it often comes down to understanding where to start you know we've talked about this before is like you don't know where to start one of the things that uh, that i have actually a, a a call with a client tomorrow to talk about is exactly that how do you guide through the user experience the very very different kinds of of users of the site because in their case not everybody who's a user of the site is actually a buyer right you know this is a manufacturer and so the people who are actually buying from their site are going to be the businesses who are actually buying the pieces and doing the installations, right? But they've realized that one of the challenges they have is the people who are actually making the decision of what to buy are not the people who are in the business, right? So the way the people who are in the business navigate and think about the products and what they know about the products and the part numbers and the specifications, the way you motivate them is very different than the way you motivate the person who's actually going to go ahead and use it, right? He's going to be making the ultimate decision. And so that's one of the big challenges. And then, you know, just like what Chris was saying, another challenge that we've we've uncovered is that, you know, so you've got the people who are doing the installation of the, you know, the large scale, uh, you know, project delivery, which involves these products. But then you go back to the actual end, you know, customer, right, who's not the person who's doing the buying on this site, but they actually have people who are technicians who might be trying to maintain it. And so they don't need to buy the entire system, but they need to know how to efficiently find a part in order to fix one broken part. Um, And so one of the fun things to do is to explore again how people are actually interacting with the site, because usually within the first few clicks, you can actually understand, right? You know, for Chris's example, if somebody's finding a product and then looking at a technical document, they're probably somebody who wants to look at technical documents, right? And if there's somebody who's, uh, you know, the business user, they're thinking about the motivations for, you know, uh, the capabilities of something. Right. Whereas if somebody is kind of the, uh, you know, the, the person who's implementing the solution, they're thinking not of capabilities, but they're thinking of features and specifications. So those are some of the con- common challenges that people have is kind of, you know, just to so what, what Dave was saying is is that, you know, when you when you live in that world, you get blinders on. And you see everything through the view of, of your perspective. and you don't necessarily respect the outside perspectives. And so I like to I like to encourage people to imagine that they're a fourth grader coming to the site for the first time and, and they have no they don't know anything and they're just there to explore. And so put your hat on as somebody who doesn't know anything. Um, but also that's that's kind of fun because it tends to encourage people to make things a little bit more engaging. Because as I said before, just one of the key aspects for success online is making sure that your user experience is compelling and engaging, because that's exactly why people aren't using your website, right? You know, to Chris's point, the people who aren't using the website are not using it because it's not useful, right? It's not compelling to them to use it. You know, for people out there who have a a, a digital only business, they don't have a choice, Right. It's, it's either it's usable digitally or not. And that's that's make it or break it success. Uh, but we're, we're now living in an age of digital transformation where lots of businesses who've been successful for 100 years and they've always had those blinders on and seen things exactly the way they see them. And they think that that's how it's going to be successful. And in the last 10 years, we've seen a lot of those businesses realize that that's actually a great way to drive your business into the ground. OK, amazing. So I
2: am just going to have one follow up question for you because you made a very interesting comment and I would love to see some more clarification there. So the user versus buyer, I think that's a very uh, uh, you know important distinction. And sometimes the users could be far more important than the buyer because they are the ones who are actually influencing the journey as well as the deal. So when you are prioritizing your user experience, how would you sort of segment the user versus buyer uh, when you are doing that?
0: Well, a, a, again, it's one of those things you can usually uh, segment them without much effort by exploring their, their initial click paths, right? Okay. Uh, you know, if somebody is the buyer, they're usually diving right into, in the first couple of clicks, they're diving into their normal process for buying, right? You know, a buyer is usually somebody who's already been there before, um, whereas somebody who's who's kind of exploring around the product set, if their first couple of clicks are in that area of content, then you can treat them differently, and you know there's no reason nowadays not to, um, you know, have a cookie and be able to then store that kind of initial guess of what segment uh, uh, a person is in to understand what type of, of interaction you know best fits their needs. Um, but you you know you totally said it. It's like sometimes the user is the one who's actually driving the purchase decision. Even though the buyer is the one making the purchase right and and you know to what chris Chris was saying about different kinds of people and you know in the b two b world you might have uh, a sophisticated account with four or five different levels of people in the buying process, the people who are doing the shopping, the people who are doing the reorders, the people who are doing the maintenance, the people who are approving the purchasing decisions right, and the data that each one needs is going to be different, but There's no reason not to know what kind of person they are using cookies and login information.
2: Okay, love it. Thank you so much, Ben, uh, for those insights. So now the only thing we can do right now is going to be super short closing advice. We have roughly two minutes. So we have roughly 30 seconds per person. Uh, So Steve, I'm actually going to start with you. Uh, What would be your closing advice?
3: Uh, If you and your team are confused about what your market segments are, go back and Think about Clayton Christensen and your what your customer's job to be done actually is. Uh, if you're selling drill bits, it's not just because they want holes. It's because they want a perfect hole every time. So think about that. Try and put yourself in your customer's shoe. Then you might realize you have six different types. Maybe you only have one.
2: Okay. Amazing advice there. Thank you so much, Steve, for that. So Chris, uh, what would be your closing advice for today?
4: Yeah, I think as companies are taking this digital commerce journey, they need to think about what their goals are, and then from the goals back into who is going to help them achieve those goals and build the initial customer journey around those who, you know, they're that's going to help them get to their goals. So, uh, you know, I think most companies have an idea of their ideal customer profile. So, And they know how they think and buy and the different segments within that. So it's really just challenging yourself to think about all the different ways that they're going to do something to help you achieve that goal that you're trying to get to. And this is iterative. Uh, You know, you're going to start at one place. You're going to look at your data like we've talked about. You're going to look at the click paths. You're going to study the information. You're going to talk to your users and customers and feel out where those friction areas are and you can keep improving it. So what you start with today is not where you need to end up with.
2: Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Chris, for that. So Dave, what would be your closing advice?
5: Yeah, kind of tacking on to where Chris was going. I, you know, From the start, keep it simple, right? Keep it simple. You understand what the traditional sense looks like. You can start there and build upon that. Don't think that you've got to come out of the gate with a increasingly complex uh, segmentation model. You can start simply and as you gain data and gain uh, insight into it, build upon that.
2: Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Dave. Ben, what would be your closing
0: advice? You can't manage what you can't measure. So like what Chris was talking about, start out with what your goals are that are measurable, right? You know, I've, I've, I've heard from a few people, it's great advice. If the KPI doesn't have a dollar sign attached to it, nobody really cares, okay? Um so think about what your goals are start with that and then and then like what Dave was saying you know be agile and not be attached right you know I'm I'm a big big philosophy buff and I'm a big fan of the concept of non-attachment and so if you start off with something you can measure right and then you dive in without you know as we mentioned getting into analysis paralysis not not being able to understand which way to start right pulling out all your hair if you have any Right. And then and then, you know, you you don't know where to start. So you start out with some place, but a place where you can measure the impact. And and very quickly with these things, you're going to prove that you have a return on investment. So get buy in from the organization that you're not just going to live with the return on investment you get on day one, but you're going to reinvest that. Right. And next thing you know, you're going to have 30 data scientists because you'll realize it's actually worth it. All right. Amazing. So that's it for today, guys. If you joined for the first time, this was part of our e-commerce series for which we meet
2: every Wednesday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. We pick one topic related to e-commerce and we always have a very exciting panel that is willing to share their insights and wisdom. So make sure you are not going to miss next week's show. We are going to be here. On that note, I wanted to thank you, everybody for their time and insights today. Thank Thank you, Sam. Bye-bye. Thanks, man. Thank you all. I do not thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Dave Chrysler, head over to the thechrysler.club. It's T-H-E-C-R-Y-S-L-E-R dot C-L-U-B. If you want to learn more about Steve Rice, head over to dot com jungle It's D-O-T-C-O-M-J-U-N-G-L-E dot com. If you want to learn more about Christina Harrington, head over to JanAlpha.com. It's G-E-N-A-L-P-H-A.com. If you want to learn more about Ben Rundek, head over to Atwix.com. It's A-T-W-I-X.com. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Steve Rice, who discusses why congruence is the most important factor to optimize product category architecture, navigation, user experience, customer journeys and campaign design. Also the interviewer Dave Meyer from BusyWeb who describes how marketing automation works and why that is important to understand customer journeys. Also don't forget to subscribe and spread the world among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels i'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help thank you and i hope to catch you on the next episode of the wbs podcast.
1: thank you for listening to another episode of the wbs podcast be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode